Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, the weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Betting on Salvation. It's based upon the lectionary reading for Sunday, December 22, 2013, the fourth Sunday in Advent. As I review a book a week for Journey with Jesus, I'll often read several books on the same topic. Last summer, for example, I read three books about food, and then several books about the Middle East. In October, I read four books about technology. I live in the Silicon Valley, so the technology books held a special interest for me. All four titles have earned critical praise. And way back in 1985, I wrote my dissertation on the French sociologist Jacques Ellul, who wrote an important trilogy about technology. Ellul insisted that technology is the, the defining component of modern culture. The subtitle of his book, The Technological Society, called te technology the wager of the century. In other words, it's a bet that we've made. So now, fast forward to the four books I just read about technology. Dave Eggers' new novel called The Circle has drawn comparisons with Orwell. A new college grad named May works at a dystopian tech company called The Circle that's led by the so-called Three Wise Men. It's an environment of enchantment. My God, May thought as she surveyed the corpus campus. It's heaven. The circle exhibits all the characteristics of a cult, including the near impossibility of opting out. No wonder Edgars has no Facebook or Twitter account. Then there's Yevgeny Morozov's book, To Save Everything, Click Here. His subtitle summarizes his thesis, the Folly of Technological Solutionism. Don't believe the hype, says Morozov. Her technology can never keep its exaggerated promises. I especially commend the two books by Geron Lanier that I read. He's a computer scientist with impeccable geek credentials. Thirty years ago, he pioneered the invention of virtual reality. In 2010, Time Magazine named him one of the 100 most influential people in the world. The New York Times listed his book, You Are Not a Gadget, as one of the 10 best books of 2010. Lanier says that he used to be a techno cheerleader in the merry band of idealists. Today he calls himself a humanist Sophie. He's frightened at the Frankenstein he helped to create. Lanier contrasts the lifeless world of pure information with the rich mystery of being human. He defends human intelligence, judgment, and artistic creativity against the pseudo-wisdom of computer algorithms, search engines, and aggregators. Information technology, he says, is necessarily a form of social engineering, and the results have been horrible, spiritually, morally, and economically.
And finally, his new book is called Who Owns the Future? It's about the devastating impact of big data on our economy. A tiny minority have become fabulously rich in the digital economy, while many millions more have been displaced. So what does all this techno talk have to do with Christmas? As it turns out, a lot. As Elul saw 60 years ago, and as these four books concur, technology has become our salvation narrative. I like to use capital letters because the zeal and hubris of our technologists is limitless, as is their disdain for anyone who disagrees with them. But the Elulian wager has been an expensive bet. Technology isn't alone. Finance, medicine, consumerism, politics, and many other meta-narratives offer us self-help salvation. Nor is this a new phenomenon. In Jesus' day, Roman emperors took divine titles like Son of God, Lord, and even God. Consider this inscription from Asia Minor from about 9 BC that describes Caesar Augustus. The most divine Caesar, we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the Emperor Augustus, who being sent to us as a savior has put an end to war. The birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. And there, I might add, the Greek word for good news is euangelion, the gospel. And so we ask, whose birth, in the words of this ancient inscription, is the gospel for the whole world? Is the Roman Caesar Lord and God, or is the baby of Bethlehem? Is the good news that of political power, or of love incarnate? I place my bet with the renegade priest and peace activist Daniel Berrigan, who repudiates our alternate gospels of pseudo-salvation. Here's his poem, Credo. I can only tell you what I believe. I believe I cannot be saved by foreign policies. I cannot be saved by the sexual revolution. I cannot be saved by the gross national product. I cannot be saved by nuclear deterrence. I cannot be saved by aldermen, priests, artists, plumbers, city planners, social engineers, nor by the Vatican, nor by the World Buddhist Association, nor by Hitler, nor by Joan of Arc, nor by angels and archangels, nor by powers and dominions. I can be saved only by Jesus Christ. Paul calls this the gospel of God in the epistle for this week. It's a gospel that deconstructs every other false hope. Come and save us, the psalmist implores God in this week's Psalm 80, verse 2. And in a call and response separated by a thousand years, 
The Gospel Matthew 121 for this week proclaims, He will save his people. That's the Christmas good news, that the birth of a baby signals the redemption of the world, that God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19 For books this week, I review a title by Cecil Williams and Janice Miri Katani. The title is called Beyond the Impossible. New York, Harper One, 2013, 313 pages. When Cecil Williams became the new pastor of Glide Memorial United Methodist Church in San Francisco in 1963, the church had dwindled to 35 white people. Founded in 1929 in the city's infamous Tenderloin District, Described by Williams as the last circle of hell with its adult bookstores, flop houses, and drug dealers, the church was teetering on the precipice of closure. A year after Williams came, Glide hired a local grad student named Janice Mirikatani as a typist. The members of the church disliked the new firebrand Williams, walked out of his services, and begged the bishop to remove him. That was then. Today, Glide Memorial Church has 11,000 members, an annual budget of $16 million, a staff of 175, 25,000 volunteers every year, and close to 100 fully staffed programs. People from all over the world visit Glide. It's on the short list for San Francisco tourists to visit, and a regular destination of the rich and famous. The publication of this book coincides with Williams's 50th year of ministry at Glide in 2013. He and his wife, Miri Katani, take turns writing chapters to tell the story of how they reinvented Glide to serve, quote, the poor, the disenfranchised, the homeless, the addicted, the mentally ill, the newly immigrated, and the politically passionate. This story is equal parts inspiration, provocation, and controversy. Glide removed the cross from the sanctuary since they viewed it as a symbol of oppression and sanitized the service of all church mythology. They hosted the first hookers convention and jump-started the first prostitutes union. Way back in 1964, they sponsored the first ever conference on homosexuality and the clergy. They supported the Black Panthers. Williams was jailed dozens of times for his protests. Driving all this organized chaos was a carefully articulated vision of radical inclusion or self-definition in which, says Williams, quote, you are the answer to your own questions. Cecil Williams grew up in a loving family in Texas and graduated with his MDiv from the then all-white Perkins School of Theology at SMU. 
His grandfather was a slave and his father a janitor. His wife, Janice Miri Katani, grew up in a dysfunctional home that was imprisoned in America's Japanese internment camps. She was four when her family was released after three and a half years. In addition to internment, hers is a story of incest. In my favorite chapter of the book, this black Texan egomaniac and deeply insecure Japanese agnostic share candidly about how they have made their unusual marriage and ministry work in the glare of the national limelight. One thing's for sure, if you're ever in San Francisco on a Sunday morning, don't miss the opportunity to visit Glide. You'll be glad you did. Cecil Williams and Janice Miri Katani. The title of the book, Beyond the Impossible. For movies this week, I review a movie called The Perks of Being a Wallflower, 2012. This coming-of-age drama is an adaptation of the 1999 novel by Stephen Chbosky, which spent a year atop bestseller lists and has been translated into over 30 languages. I didn't think it was a great film, but it was a good reminder that adolescence is a troubling time for many kids. Charlie is a high school freshman just hoping to make a friend. He describes himself as, quote, the weird kid who spent time in a mental hospital for depression and makes you feel nervous. Lucky for him, he's befriended by two seniors, Patrick and Sam. The movie runs the gamut of teenagerly angst, lunchroom drama, family dysfunctions, drinking, drugs, sex, and suicide. But Charlie ends up in a good place, even though toward the end of the movie, he observes, there's so much pain in the world. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And finally, for the fourth Sunday in Advent, we've posted a poem by David A. Redding. It's from a book called If I Could Pray Again, from 1965. The title of David A. Redding's poem is Adult Advent Announcement. O oh Lord, let Advent begin again in us, not merely in commercials, for that first Christmas was not simply for children, but for the wise and the strong. It was crowded around that cradle with kings kneeling Speak to us who seek an adult seat this year. Help us to realize as we fill stockings that Christmas is mainly for the old folks, bent backs and tired eyes, need relief and light a little more. No wonder it was grown-ups who were the first to notice such a star. Adult Advent Announcement by David Redding. 
Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for the fourth Sunday in Advent, December 22nd, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. 